Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Javindra Hardawar. Shirlin Lowe is off this week uh, trying to stay sane during the pandemic, but I brought on a fun guest, Anthony Ha from TechCrunch. Hey, Anthony, what's up? You know, everything is totally normal here in New York. Everything, it's just chill and relaxed and great. Yeah, I haven't actually seen you in person for a while, so... It's good to see you over video chat as we're recording this episode. And just so you all know, TechCrunch is kind of a sister site to Engadget. I'm not sure everybody is aware of that, but we're all owned by Verizon. We all kind of do the same thing. We're all in the same offices. So I see Anthony when we're actually in the office. But Although not as often as I would have expected. I think we sort of see each other and wave at each other in the distance. Yeah. But um, don't hang out in person as much as I would like. For our listeners, I've worked with Anthony quite a bit. He's a super cool guy. Also, one of my many nemesis, nemesis, I don't know, which includes Sherlin. So we're going to be talking about Quibi, which is the mobile video startup uh, founded by Jeffrey Katzenberg. Uh, You've probably seen my review floating around. It's (laughs) probably the angriest thing I've written in a while because it makes me very angry. We'll have a quick conversation about that, and later on in the episode, we'll also have my interview with Alex Garland, the creator of Devs and the director of many films like Ex Machina and Annihilation. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to the Engadget podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Please leave us a review. Reviews are really helpful, and uh, yeah, gotta fight some of those negative reviews, please. <laughs> so, Anthony, do you Quibi? What is Quibi? <laughs> wow, there's there's so much to unpack there. I, yeah. So Quibi, um, for those of you who are sort of, I mean, I still have this very vivid memory at CES of this mm-hmm. older advertising executive sitting next to me um, at a Starbucks and just sort of loudly <laughs> saying, what is this Quibi thing I keep hearing about? And and I imagine there's still people in the world who who feel that way. So it's basically a short form video app specifically for your phone. In fact, only for your phone right now. It's all shows and quote-unquote movies and chapters that are 10 minutes or less. Most of the segments, I think, are in the five to eight minute range. Yeah. And um, I think it's gotten a lot of attention because it's raised a lot of money, $1.75 billion. And because it's founded by Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's this legendary Hollywood executive and the CEO is Meg Whitman. Yeah. 
founded DreamWorks Pictures. He has been behind many, many movies. And then, yeah, Meg Whitman. Um, did you did you get to talk talk with those folks at CES? Because I did a sit down interview and it was a weird experience, right? Because I sat down and talked with Katzenberg and Meg Whitman before I even saw a demo of the app. I didn't even have a clear idea of what Quibi was, so <laughs> not a, not the best place to start with an interview. But um, we put that in the podcast feed. Uh, listeners can go back and take a take a listen to that. It didn't seem like they had a clear idea of what they were trying to do, other than. Mobile video seems big. Kids are on their phones. Let's put video on phones, right? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because I did not do the interview at CES. My colleague Sarah Perez did. But one of the (laughs) things she and I had talked about beforehand and that she asked them about was when you think about mobile video, it's there's so much online already. Whether I mean, it's not necessarily mobile specific, which is the point that, that Katzenberg and Whitman will emphasize. But there's a lot of free video online. People are watching it on their phones. Why are they going to pay for an app of this short form video? And what Meg Whitman said to to Sarah was um, not taking anything away from YouTube. YouTube is amazing. On YouTube, the creators there maybe spend hundreds of dollars per minute on their content. On Quibi, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars per minute on our content. Because that that's what determines the quality of the content is <laughs> right, the exactly. money you're putting behind it, right? Like that's the, to me, I think that is the fundamental disconnect with Quibi. Like I'm watching a lot of these shows trapped on my phones and they look really good. They look really high budget. They have a lot of, uh, you know, creative talent. They have a lot of stars and notable names. I was watching Chrissy Teigen's court show and it looks better than any like court TV show on the air right now, like better than People's Court, better than Judge Judy, but it's also not that interesting. It's not that funny. <laughs> and it's it's a weird like party-like atmosphere where they bring on these um, people for really low stakes issues. And it just seems like they just want to be on camera with Christy Teigen. It doesn't seem like anybody's trying to solve anything or accomplish anything. I actually enjoy that because I'm somebody in general who has a lot of problem with um, particularly on reality shows, I, I just get I get cringy very fast when there's conflict, and so I I really enjoy low stakes reality television. So in that sense, uh, I appreciate it. I don't know if other people feel the same yeah. way. I would say that the content in general, there's this weird division for me where there's certain kinds of shows that it makes sense that they're short and on your phone, like Chrissy's Court, mm-hmm. like the new Punked, um, because I think reality TV in general has a lot of fat in it a lot, and and just needs to be. You know, the fact that it's being compressed into these really short episodes is great. You don't necessarily need to watch it on a bigger screen. The downside is, like, none of this is essential viewing for me. None of this is something that I would pay for. And then on the other hand, you have the scripted shows, some of which are promising. I think, like, Most Dangerous Game seems interesting. Uh, Flipped, which is the um, Will Forte comedy, I think is, like, promising. And so, like, those are the shows I'm more interested in. But in that case, it feels more frustrating that it's confined to my phone. And I'm like, why can I not just watch this on my TV? TV? Why yeah. isn't this an hour-long drama? I'd rather just watch it that way. It's uh, it's very weird. Like, I was trying to watch, you know, some clips of things with my wife. And, like, there, yeah, there is no AirPlay support. There's no Chromecast support. They're really, really going all in with this mobile video concept, almost in a way that seems punishing and restrictive um and this just makes me think that mobile video in general right is it doesn't make sense like mobile video as its own thing it doesn't make sense because we're watching content across all sorts of screens we want flexibility you know we want the ability to like start watching something on youtube maybe throw it to our tv maybe use the youtube app on our tv use our phone for other things like there is 
there's a freedom I think consumers expect. And Quibi just doesn't have that because you also can't juggle watching a show and then go chat with your friends or something, right? Like it's so inflexible. Yeah. I mean, I think the the slight caveat I would add is that you and I are both men of a certain age and, and certainly <laughs> sure. you know, younger viewers, I think. <laughs> like we grew up watching television. Like that was how sure. we watched. And I think younger people... Um, grew up, there are, there's going to be a generation of people who grew up watching things primarily on their phones, maybe on their tablets and laptops, but primarily on mm-hmm. their phones. But I think even them, they don't care what the screen is on. The phone, they watch things on their phone because it's convenient. If there's a yes. bigger, better screen, they still want to watch it on that. Quibi might add that in the future, but it is a real like hamper on the experience right mm-hmm. now. It does feel like, yeah, the argument for Quibi is like, oh, yeah, look at these youths. Look at these young people who are always on their phones. Let's provide them some high-quality content on their phones. And, you know, I've I've talked to people in this generation. Certainly, most people have not heard of Quibi. And just looking at the way younger folks use their phones, it's like, yeah, they watch it. They, they watch stuff on their phones, but also the idea of paying, even mm-hmm. if it's $5 a month for something that's ad-supported, for something that doesn't... Um, this isn't even like truly compelling content. Like the the magic of YouTube, the magic of Netflix and other things is that there's so much content. There's kind of a freedom to it in terms of how you consume it. Um, Quibi just doesn't have that. I don't think it could eventually. But I'm also, uh, we haven't talked about like the key technology, which is what they're using to try to differentiate themselves. It's called Turnstile. It lets you sort of watch the video in portrait or landscape mode, depending on your mood or whatever, whatever you're feeling, and it'll appropriately crop or fit the camera to that view. Uh, They actually shoot it both ways, which I think is a really interesting idea. I also, I don't think you can build a whole service around that one concept. Yeah, I think there's definitely some internal speculation at TechCrunch about whether or not Quibi ultimately is just selling this technology to other video companies, and that's the ultimate business model. We'll, we'll see. Um, I think when people hear about Turnstile, or sometimes even when they see it, they're a little underwhelmed because rotating your phone is not that big a deal. But it is probably the best experience I've had flipping between two different, you know, orientations yeah. on my phone. I think it, like, it works really well. It, in some ways, it's sort of subtle and and you know, kind of hard to see what's impressive about it, but it works well. I would I would honestly bet that Quibi feels like something that they're building just to sell it off really quick, and not just for Turnstile, but also for the content and the talent and everybody involved like they've produced a ton of content so i could see disney or somebody down the line being like hey we we need a quick and easy service that we could you know maybe open it up somehow and make that work i saw a demo of turnstile at ces where they could also use it for interactivity so it was the uh one of the short movies coming up called wireless and in landscape view you could see uh the character you know, in a normal frame, just staring at their phone. And when you turn to portrait, you see what's actually on their phone. So it's kind of an interesting, like, multi-angle approach to things. I found that fascinating, but they only have, yeah, that one movie coming up uh, this year. They haven't really talked about any others. And they've, like, made one demo showing off the tech. I don't know if people are going to go through the effort of setting that up. Um, It's cool, but it's also, like, gamified in a way. And also... You don't need turnstile to make that happen. Like multi-angle gaming, uh, that's interactive gaming like that has been happening for a while. Maybe just not as seamlessly, but we have technology for that already. 
it, it's hard to tell because I think in the beginning days of any medium, right, there's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of experimentation and a lot of gimmicks. I think the, the example a lot of people use is, you know, early films where it's like the train coming just straight at the camera and people are like, oh my God. And, and so, you know, if, if Turnstile turns out to be at least a part of the future video, it probably won't look anything like these early experiments, but you're just going to see a lot of gimmicky stuff at the beginning. And that's maybe interesting, yeah. but not sustainable. And I will say for listeners, if you want to get my full feelings on Quibi, go go read my review because it is it's one of those things that as I tested it, it made me more and more infuriated. Like some of the content is fine. It looks good. It's perfectly fine. I don't understand how they've raised so much money for something that's so like inessential in like not very flexible, not very interesting. I don't. I think it was really dismantled. That kind of broke me. The idea of watching a show where. You know, a show hosted by Titus Burgess, it's like five minutes long per episode. They get random cooks, blindfold them, throw food at them, make them eat the food off the floors and the walls. And then they have to, like, recreate the meal from based on that taste. Uh, I don't know. It just it felt like some weird dystopian Black Mirror content to me <laughs> that just it, it didn't work at all. And then the fact that I couldn't even throw it to my TV. I couldn't do anything just felt like a boondoggle to me. I can't imagine like anybody else doing this. Like if you didn't have Jeffrey Katzenberg's name, if you didn't get this much funding, I don't, I don't know if we'd be taking it as seriously at all. Like this would just be another go 90, you know, which is uh Verizon's failed attempt at mobile video, um, which uh, I'm just looking around here for the snipers. It probably <laughs> died a little too soon, right? It was just too good for this world. Uh, by the way, what is up with mobile video startups not knowing how to name themselves? So Go90 was named after uh, you turning your phone. You're going 90 degrees to watch mobile video and landscape. As, as the kids say, you go 90, right? Right, Anthony? <laughs> I do think that... Quibi has a little more going for it than Go90 did, but they both seem to have the same basic mindset of, you know, older executive saying the kids like mobile video. Let's figure out what we can do with that. It's like Mr. Burns trying to create his own like TV network or something. It's like, ah, what are the children up to? (laughs) Excellent. Mobile video. Uh, What does Quibi stand for, by the way? Quick bites. Quick bites. Quick bites of content. Again, bad, but not as bad as Go90. Just to say something nice about Quibi, I did like Most Dangerous Game, like, from what I saw of it. But it was also like, man, this looks like a highly produced action, you know, thriller starring Christoph Waltz uh, and Liam Hemsworth. I want to see this on my TV. It can't. I can't. I'm stuck staring at it on my phone. So I'm constantly frustrated by what is going on. Uh, Anthony, anything good, like, that you truly enjoyed? I guess you liked Chrissy Teigen's show, right? I did. Um, I would also say, I mean, Most Dangerous Game was, to me, the most promising because it did Mm -hmm. feel like almost like the cold open of a traditional TV show, like just lays out the premise. It's very intriguing, has a little little element of class rage, which feels very appropriate right now. (laughs) So I'm I'm very curious to see what's going on there. Um, I also really liked Flipped, the Will Forte show that I mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. It it seemed like, again, it, it... it's compressed well into a seven or eight minute segment. I laughed out loud several what times. Is, what exactly is flipped? Like, what's the concept? It is basically Will Forte is a high school drama teacher who's just been fired. His wife is a faux Home Depot employee who's just been fired. They decide to start to, I think, audition for one of these home renovation TV shows. Okay. 
sounds sounds fascinating. Talk about like home reno. Like there is the the murder house flip show, which yes, that looks like or it, it sounds like something they would have pitched on Thirty Rock, and not even something like a smart character would have pitched. Like something Tracy Morgan would have pitched on 30 rock you know it seems like we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here <laughs> quite a bit any any further thoughts on quibi or where it's headed anthony i think my my last thought is just if it's going to succeed it it will look and i'm i'm not confident that well i think it has a chance of success just because they've got so much money and so many talented people who've signed up that even if it's this initial launch doesn't do that well. They, they can kind of limp along for a while and maybe they'll figure something out. If it succeeds, it'll look completely different from what we see at launch this week. Mm-hmm. I think their other advantage is there are people on the team who know that, who understand that this is going to be a process of experimentation and iterating. We'll see if they get there. Yeah, yeah. I get a sense just uh, I haven't talked to the talent, but I see a lot of people who are just like, you're raising a billion dollars for this? Okay, I'll be on your dumb show. I'll pitch this <laughs> dumb thing. Like a lot of people just seem like, okay, this is free-flowing money. I'm just going to make a dumb thing and maybe it succeeds, maybe it won't. Who knows? Let's move on to my interview with Alex Garland, the creator of Devs, the guy behind, uh, you know, he wrote 28 Days Later. He wrote the Never Let Me Go adaptation. He recently directed Annihilation and Ex Machina, which I also uh, interviewed him for at Engadget. So that was a really fun interview several years ago. Now he's back with a show that is truly wild, truly like a very different sort of bit of sci-fi. So check out our chat. Hi, Alex. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Thank you so much for taking time to chat. So I'm just thinking about like what you've accomplished with devs. Uh, with Ex Machina, it seemed like you were exploring the ideas of consciousness, human and machine consciousness. Now you're jumping to quantum computing and free will and determinism. What was the impetus for exploring that in a TV series like this? Um, uh, well, in in the terms of this interview, can I ask, is it... Mm-hmm. Um, the spoilers matter. Ah, that's a good question. Well, we're up to episode four now here in the U.S., so I think you can mention up to that. Definitely, well, let's try to keep things surprising for the end. Yeah. I guess the way I see it is that um, actually Devs is like a companion piece to Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're sort of related in a way, the two projects. And uh, oh, shit, man, I'm trying to think how I can, <laughs> I'm trying to think how I can talk without right 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 yeah but um i had i had a set of concerns some of which were cross-related to ex machina Mm -hmm. and some of which are just sort of discrete to devs and with with devs it it was triggered by uh this concept of determinism and trying to present a couple of interpretations of quantum mechanics which sounds like a sort of inherently complex statement, but it isn't really. You know? And and then there were some other concerns which were to do with the nature of um, uh, the sort of specific nature of some of the tech companies in terms of power and the kind of power they take for themselves and also the power that we confer on for them. And in some ways, it's in that area that the sort of but the cross-relation with uh, Ex Machina. Gotcha, gotcha. And what is it about quantum mechanics and also quantum computing that's really, you know, tickled your interest here? Because it is something we hear about. We hear about, you know, the advances Google and other companies have made in quantum computing. I feel like most people don't know what that means, you know, in the grander scheme of things, but it sounded like you had ideas where this could eventually end up. The thing that interested me about quantum computers was was a specific 
uh, idea, which is that up to this point, we've had binary computers, but we appear to live in a quantum mechanical Mm -hmm. world. And so what you get is binary computers attempting to emulate the conditions uh, of quantum mechanics um, in their modeling systems. And if you had a a quantum computer working in a quantum mechanical way, you then have a quantum mechanical system attempting to model a quantum mechanical system. So you might be able to model it in in a much truer and more accurate way. Gotcha, gotcha. And it's, um, you know, I have to think, like this is uh, Amaya, the tech company in this uh, in the series, does seem like one of those like Uber Googles, like just a large company and you don't know all the little things they do. Um, we, we also don't really get a sense of like the other things Amaya does beyond the really cool quantum right. mechanics stuff. Like what is Amaya to you? Are they something where we're on all their social networks? Are they something that pervades our lives the way Facebook and Google does? I, I saw them as a manufacturer of, uh, quantum computer systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so maybe, you know, maybe like the early days of, uh, some of the hardware companies before they expanded into software as well. And if you did have a, a company that was mass producing uh, powerful quantum computers or making them just available to uh, various parts of the industry or the government or whoever it was, um, you'd have a very, very new bit of kit that I, in really base terms would just be earning that company a hell of a lot of money. So so I saw it as like being uh, sort of representative of the way these tech companies can explode out of nowhere if they have a breakthrough that is specific to them. You know, they corner the market mm-hmm. in whatever it happens to be. It, it, it could be they corner the market in home delivery, you know, um, and uh, or it could be in... In a, in a chip that lots of uh, other systems use, like NVIDIA or whatever it happens to be. So, um, so, so I guess I just saw Amaya as the, the maker and manufacturer, but also as the maker and manufacturer, also the people that are best placed to exploit the system. So they're trying uh, search engines and AIs mm-hmm. and uh, encryption systems that are based around their quantum computers rather than... Uh, you know, the the one that everybody else uses. Gotcha. Do you, do you have a sense of like, what would people be buying these systems for? What do you think a government or other people would be doing? My mind was kind of racing, just imagining the world building of, of the world of devs. And I hope we get to see more of that at some point. Uh, but in your mind, how does that, you know, build out? I, it, it's a really interesting question, Matt, because I have spoken to people who say, uh, not much in a lot of areas mm-hmm. like quantum computing isn't isn't actually going to be that helpful in lots of parts of life essentially because a binary computer does everything uh as well as you would want it to right. do and so so why do you need a system that can work in the way that a quantum computer does and and it was actually partly while thinking about that 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 led me to um uh, a bit of writing uh which was talking about a quantum computer's ability to model quantum states, right. quantum mechanical states. And and that that partly was the trigger. I, I think that the actual practical uses of these things, people aren't really sure what they'll be using. Right, for. right. I think it's that uh that uncertainty that is both kind of interesting and scary to me. 
uh, when we talked about Ex Machina, I, I, you know, I brought up the idea of the the killer AI, the killer robots that so many people seem afraid of. I'm almost more afraid of mm-hmm. what we could accomplish with these, you know, quantum computers that we don't know what exactly they'll unearth and how exactly they'll work. Was that is that something you've been, you know, thinking on? And how did you draw the line between quantum computing and like determinism and thinking about cracking the code of reality, basically? You don't need uh, quantum computers or binary computers or any kind of co- computers mm-hmm. really to to start puzzling over determinism and to end up creating quite a strong argument for it. Um, and in in a way, the argument is best made by showing how easy it would be to disprove. Um, because if you if you found something in the universe that completely spontaneously and randomly popped into existence, then you would have disproved determinism completely. Right. If you came up with something that wasn't wasn't in some ways relating to cause and effect, then the theory's blown to bits. And then, uh, and it's the difficulty with finding something as simple as that that becomes the strength of the argument. And and that that doesn't require any kind of computing at mm-hmm. all to have that thought process. If you see what I mean. What I did think though was that if if a quantum computer was as good at modeling quantum reality as it might mm-hmm. be, then it would be able to prove in a definitive way whether we lived in a deterministic state or not. And that seems to me to be something that would be interesting to prove and kind of worth proving because it would completely change the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at society, the way society functions, the way relationships unfold and develop and so I, it, it, I guess that was the train of thought. Gotcha, gotcha. It's there. I, I have to ask: Do you have your own thoughts about that at this point? Like, would you are you fully prepared for the argument that oh yes, we completely live in a deterministic world, or are you just kind of interested in where we head with that stuff? Because to me, it almost seems like, uh, yeah, as somebody who studied philosophy for a while too, if if we do end up with mm-hmm. this idea that yeah, everything is predetermined, free will doesn't exist, I feel like that would also break the perception of reality for a lot of people. I'm just wondering where you stand. It would in some ways, but then it would restructure itself pretty mm-hmm. quickly, I think. My own uh, leaning as a sort of interested layperson is that I suspect this is deterministic and we don't have free will. That's my mm-hmm. that's my gut feeling. But philosophically and emotionally, in many ways, it doesn't change that much because whether or not you or I have free will, both of us could identify lots of things that we care about, um, lots of things that we enjoy or don't enjoy or things that we're scared of right. or things that we anticipate. And all of that remains. It, it's not It's not remotely affected by whether we've got free will or not. What might be affected is, uh, I think, our capacity to be forgiving in some respects. And so certain kinds of antisocial or criminal behavior Mm -hmm. you would start to think about in terms of rehabilitation rather than punishment, because in a way there's no point punishing someone for something they didn't decide to do, but you might want to alter their behavior uh, to mean that they didn't do it in the future. Mm -hmm. You could also then say with some people, well, we've identified that this person uh, is not ever 
going to be rehabilitatable and so uh we would imprison them forever and throw away the key or whatever <laughs> but 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 what, what whatever the the sort of philosophical thought process was we'd have to in some respects start again and and change the way we think about guilt and responsibility mm-hmm. and therefore blame you know and and the thing about that is is that unlike a lot of these things um which often work in a counterintuitive way so so science or philosophy presents something and you think that in no way is how i thought the world right works. right i think this that particular idea to do with determinism actually dovetails quite closely with our experience of how the world works because it's very often the case that say if someone does something that makes us angry the more we understand about that person the less angry we get and that would be a that would be a very broad rule and it would be quite easy to find exceptions Mm -hmm. but still in broad terms it would remain true you know so in some ways it feels allied to our experience, even though bizarrely, it's uh, counterintuitively. In fact, it seems counterintuitive, but actually, it's not counterintuitive. Yeah, I, I like the way you're thinking about that. And honestly, I've I've appreciated that about all your work. It seems like you come up with a, you have a key idea, a key really interesting idea, and you try to dive into it. Uh, I can imagine for you getting a complex story like this uh, told. Was it easier for you doing this through Hulu and effects in a TV limited series format than something like Annihilation, which is a movie I loved, but it, yeah, it was not treated well by the studios. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, it, it was just an entirely different experience mm-hmm. from start to end. I had no creative restrictions. I only had creative support. And, and then when the project was delivered, they, were happy with it and that that just is not normally my working life right right um, tv has different rules and paradigms and uh television as far as i can tell is not as concerned with something equivalent to the opening office weekend mm-hmm. they they're, they're okay with the idea of something building slowly and and maybe as well i hope uh, really hope <laughs> um it's it's like it doesn't also just reduce the viewing figures there may be other reasons why a company might want uh to make something in as much as that when you make film you're making a product and when you make tv you're not the product the station is the product and you are a bit of branding in some respects on the product so it's that it, they've got different imperatives. Gotcha, gotcha. I've heard that. Uh, I've heard that explanation too. I think uh, Lulu Wang, who directed The Farewell, d- described it exactly like that, and that's why she didn't go with Netflix, oh, and she went with like yeah, the traditional studio approach. But I think that worked better for you know a self-contained film like this. I can't imagine a show like this being on a traditional you know broadcast network in the U.S., but something like Hulu and a maybe more risky uh you know a network that is familiar with taking risks like fx it seems like they're down for these ideas it was made yeah. for FX. yeah yeah but for what it's worth it was made for fx at the time they started uh making it at the time they financed it um the the disney deal wasn't happening mm-hmm. the hulu project wasn't you know fx on hulu wasn't a thing all, all, all of that came quite late in the day so it was 
initially it was just for John Langrove. Gotcha. Gotcha. But yeah, here in the USFX is still kind of a premium channel. So we look at that as like, oh, yeah, that's where you see something like, uh, you know, uh, the Americans on AMC. You know, this is premium TV and not just like broadcast TV. So, uh, yeah, I think within the rules of premium TV, you certainly have a lot of room to maneuver and tell a really creative story like this. Uh, is is this a medium you kind of would want to explore more moving forward? I'd like to. Um, I, I think that always with these things, uh, your ability to keep working is in some ways um, defined by by whatever's happened previously. Right. You know? right. And uh, so, so I never, I never take it as a given that I'll be able to actually work anywhere. Um, <laughs> but I would, I would like. To do this again i've got an idea which i've started writing um which is also structured as an eight-part television show um and uh uh to, to do with fx again mm-hmm. um and and so if everything works out then that that's what i'll do next but but um uh you know, um, if life teaches us anything, it's don't take anything for granted. So, um, <laughs> I'm, uh, it, it's a hope rather than a... Certainty. Most definitely. Can you give us any hints about what this next idea is? Or even not that, like any other big ideas you'd like to tackle? Because it seems like simulation theory would be an interesting one for you. And I don't know, the human response to the global pandemic that we're all living through. Seems like you've got a lot to explore these days. Well, we all do, mm-hmm. I guess, don't we? Um, I mean, there's there's a lot going on. Um, uh, I the the next thing I'm going to try to do is actually political, and it's not science okay. fiction. It's really about it's about civil disobedience, really. And the supposed sense that I had that we used to be better at civil disobedience, mm-hmm. maybe something like that. But in terms of the 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 other sort of big ideas that are out there. I mean, you, you can hardly move without falling over a big idea. Right, right. You know? we're, we're, we're just like, we're surrounded by them. Um, I think that years and years ago, I did a movie set in space and I would one day I'd really love to go back and try and do that again. Oh, I would love to see that, too. Well, thank you so much. Good luck with uh, I'm sure you're going to be talking to a lot of people, but I hope people watch devs. It seems like it's doing pretty well from the responses to our articles about it and everything. Well, cool, man. And nice to speak to you. Yeah, again. good thank to you. chat. All right. Have a good one. So, Anthony, what are you working on? these days what's next on your plate well i think like a lot of news publications especially tech news publications it feels like what exactly our coverage area is evolves mm-hmm. every every week because uh, yeah you can't ignore what's happening this giant thing that's happening in the world and it's affecting everything including the tech world um and i think the, the main way that's manifested for me is that I was doing a series of uh, interviews with digital media executives like people at BuzzFeed, at Bustle Digital Group, and um, a number of other publications about just sort of their overall strategy, their plans for 2020. In between doing the interviews and publishing them, this yeah. whole the whole world changed. And so now I'm sort of in the process of trying to adapt and update yeah. these interviews so that they reflect the, the world we live in now, because I think we are in the middle of a very, very uncertain time for everyone, including publications that make most of their money from advertising. Yeah, definitely. It's a scary time for all of us. Didn't you? And Bustle just killed off uh, at least one site. 
which is they, very sad. Right. They yeah. shut down the the outline or they they were very insistent to me that it's not necessarily <laughs> shut down permanently, but it is uh. they laid off all of the staff and it's on pause right now. They also laid off a number of other team members. I think, you know, we're going to see more layoffs, more pay cuts kind of across the industry. It's it's going to be a pretty scary and stressful time. Yep, for everybody. It is it's not a great time. So here, I I will, I will try to avoid the <laughs> bad times. So I'm currently looking at two Asus laptops right now, the Zephyrus G14, which is I I've seen a lot written about this machine already. It's one of the first uh gaming laptops to be powered by AMD's new Ryzen processors. It's very exciting for nerds like me and uh you know, I hope even though this is a very stressful time, I hope like people can still get their hands on these products. I hope like we can keep this uh this whole cycle of new things happening because uh there is a lot being delayed. Uh we don't know if even the freaking game consoles at the end of the year are going to be a thing. So, it all seems kind of frivolous uh in the grand scheme of things right now, but for the tech world, I think uh I don't know, the tech industry as a whole I'm hoping like we keep these things running as as easily as we can. Anthony, do you have any picks like things that are keeping you happy in this dark time? Yeah, one of the things I've been talking about with a, a lot of my friends and coworkers is the fact that as the some something like an actual apocalypse seems to be unfolding around us, there's something yep. comforting about experiencing fictional apocalypses, at least for, for, I think for some of us. And so one of the things this has prompted me to do is finally sign up for Apple Arcade. And I've been playing a lot of Overland, which is a strategy game where you're driving across the country, trying to avoid a bunch of killer aliens. At least I assume they're aliens. And it is extremely stressful. I'm I'm not a huge gamer. So like I'm probably, there are probably people for whom this is a very easy game. It's not for me. I keep like screaming <laughs> profanity at my iPad and my I, I will say gets... it's a it's a rough game on you Anthony like I play a lot of strategy games and even that game is extra like harsh you can just be wiped out all of a sudden but yeah it's a tactic style apocalyptic game that's cool yeah exactly but it it does feel like a really nice escape to be worrying about killer aliens rather than <laughs> other things yeah something you can actually run away from or kill if you needed to yeah exactly I've got a couple things. Um, one thing I've noticed, just because I'm in a weird place, my apartment is right below Prospect Park, and right now that there aren't that many humans outside, there aren't as many cars outside, it sounds like a goddamn forest in my neighborhood. Uh, I have a little deck. I go outside, and all I hear are birds and lots of chirping, which is certainly preferable to the constant ambulance sirens as well so there's that i would suggest um just go listen to what the world looks like outside right now because it is a weird thing where most of society is shut down there aren't as many people outside and in many i've seen reports like in la i think the big cats are just coming out to play um i've seen in other areas around the world like the animals that normally hide and stay you know in the woods or something are coming out uh, we are almost getting to like I am legend levels of uh, of wildlife taking back society. Uh, I don't know. It's both depressing, but also a really interesting thing to hear. And I've also been checking out High Fidelity on Hulu, which is a remake of the John Cusack movie, which I don't. I'm not a fan of that movie as like 
I think indicative it was of uh I don't know a lot of the hipster friends I knew at the time I was never a fan of that movie because I, I don't know about your feelings Anthony but he always really came across as like a huge sexist asshole in that movie so I didn't really have anything to like, hang on uh, this show is a reboot starring Zoe Kravitz. She is once again a record store owner named Rob in New York, which is, I guess, kind of an anachronistic thing these days. But the show, I think it's really interesting. She is a great actor. And even though her character is also a jerk in the same way, I think it is, um, I don't know, it's more interesting because it's not just a guy being a misogynist. I, I think there's a lot more going on there. So that's there's that. Have you seen High Fidelity, either the original or the reboot, Anthony? Uh, I've seen the original many times and and watched yeah. it. In fact, actually, that was one of the things that bonded me to one of your <laughs> college friends, our mutual friend, uh-huh. Leon too. And I and yeah. I sort of see it as as a marker of my personal growth that at the time <laughs> in high school, John Cusack's character seemed aspirational, and and that is yeah. no longer the case. Um, I am really excited to see the Zoe Kravitz version. I just haven't made time mm-hmm. for it yet. Yeah, the movie was this really interesting. It also starred Jack Black, but it was kind of an exploration of like your taste in media and your cur- curation of the arts is more important to you than your personality or how you treat people, and that's a. Uh, now how I want to go through life, even though I do care quite a bit about what we're watching and I will make fun of Sherlyn whenever I can for what she watches. Um, I Yeah. Never go full John Cusack, please. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, good general general marker in life that don't yeah. be that guy. Don't be that guy. Also, especially after his tweets this week. Uh, cancel, please. All right. That's it for the show this week. Thank you for joining us, uh, Anthony. Thank you for having me. Yeah, our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You could find Anthony online. Where? Where can we find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Anthony Ha, and uh, you just Google Anthony Ha TechCrunch, and you'll get a whole list of my articles. Cool. And you can find me online at, at Devendra. I'm on Twitter there. Find me chatting about movies and TV at the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. We just reviewed Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is a freaking masterpiece. So that's on Hulu right now. Just go, go look at that movie. Go look at something beautiful. Email us at podcastandgadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. And we are out.